Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Hello, church. What do you give the people who really have everything? Well, what you don't give them is the flu. So if you'll excuse me, I'll do this from home because uh, I got the flu somewhere down the road. And yes, I had the shot. And yes, I've done all the things. So thank you for worrying about me. But I decided I would not come to the soundstage today and give our wonderful people there the flu right before Christmas. It seemed rather naughty to do that. So if you'll forgive me, we'll do this from home today. I'm upstairs in what Americans call a bonus room. Like you didn't know it was there, you know, and it just kind of fell out of the package. But that's where I am. And I'll do my best from here. Fair enough. We're in our last of this series that I've really enjoyed writing. I hope you've enjoyed hearing the always and forever Messiah. And we're going to meet a character today in scripture that weaves in and out of history in a fascinating way. And most people never really notice. But before we do that, let's take a look at a few scriptures and what these scriptures plainly state. Now, we always make my notes available and they are available today. You can download those, but you might even, while we're going through this, pay close attention to what these words say, and then apply them to who we are about to meet. And John, we're going to do a few of these in John. <clears throat> John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, has seen him, and is in closest relationship with the Father, and has made him known. So nobody has seen God except the Son. Okay, I don't know how that could be plainer. Let's go down to John chapter 5. And because of my situation, you're going to hear <clears throat> every now and then. And sorry, that's, um, but hey, I wanted to be with you. And besides, we don't have backups that we could say, listen, we know you're committed to preach in two days uh, somewhere else. Could you please break that commitment, disappoint all those people and come do this for us instead? So we don't do that. All right. John 5, 37. And the Father who sent me has testified concerning me. This is Jesus speaking. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form. Okay? We won't go far here. John chapter 6, verse 46. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. You know, they're all three pretty much saying the same thing. And I think we can, we can all agree that that is plain. It is understandable. There doesn't seem to be any room for equivocation there. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll just do one here. Uh, chapter 6 and verse 14. Uh, is that where I want to be? 1 Timothy chapter 6, 14. It doesn't look like that's where I want to be. <clears throat> okay, we'll go somewhere else then. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 10? 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'll check on my notes and try to get those fixed for you pretty soon. First three verses, 1 Corinthians 10. I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. and They were all baptized into Moses in a cloud in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. What? That's new. So we've learned two really huge things here. Nobody has ever seen God. But now we have to figure out what people were seeing in the Old Testament. And then we just heard from Paul that there in that fire and cloud and then the rock that gave them the water, the one that accompanied them through the wilderness was Christ, Jesus, whose advent we celebrate this month, or if you're Orthodox, next month. Uh, and that's just a matter of who switched to what calendar when. It's not a doctrinal dispute. We've seen the stories, looking at the always and forever Messiah. We've noticed the parallels. We've looked at the pictures. Now, get ready to meet Jesus in the Hebrew scriptures. Let's get ready to meet the angel of the Lord. God has many angels, and they do show up from time to time, don't they? But there's only one angel that has the definite article placed before his name. The angel of the Lord. He is the angel. The word <coughs> angel means messenger, angelos. So he is the messenger of Yahweh probably should pay attention to him and figure out who he is if he allows us to do so. We're going to take a look at every appearance of the angel of the Lord. Don't panic. We've done this before a couple of years ago when we looked at angels, but we did it in two sermons. We're collapsing this and shortening it into one sermon today. And I won't go too long because um, I don't think we need to. Plus, I've got, I have the flu, so why would I want to do that? We first find the angel of the Lord in a fascinating, terrible, heartbreaking story in Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse 7. Hagar is there. She's a woman outside the covenant. Real quick backstory. Abram and Sarah went, he wasn't Abraham at that time, he was Abram, <clears throat> went down to Egypt. Um, Abraham, in an act of cowardice, denied that Sarah was his wife whenever Pharaoh thought she was cute and wanted to bring her into his harem. So he just traded her away uh, for his own safety. When God revealed to Pharaoh that Sarah was married and it was to Abram and God didn't approve of this, Pharaoh comes out to Abram and says, what have you done? This is a horrible thing you've done. And he says, I just did it because I was afraid. There's a lot about Abraham and David and such that we don't never makes it into the vacation Bible school songs. Let's just put it that way. So uh, trying to make up to God uh, for what he has done, Pharaoh, Abraham doesn't seem to feel that necessary. Uh, Pharaoh gives them a woman. Yeah, a piece of property woman. In fact, the word Hagar is not a proper name. It means stranger, foreigner, alien. We don't even know her name. She may not have known her real name. She may have been sold 
captured or traded when she was an infant. She's never had her own identity. She's never had anything. And now she is just given away to this passing family because Pharaoh has a guilty conscience. And that's it. So here she finally is, is in a family, but doesn't treat, they don't treat her as family. But because of the weird rules back then, Abraham and Sarah thought they could raise up children through Hagar since Sarah wasn't producing kids. And it was always the woman's fault in Hebrew thought. Um, let's raise them up through Hagar and they will be Sarah's and Abraham's that way until she got pregnant. And then Sarah was jealous. Hagar actually got a little mouthy about it, it seems. And so her attitude didn't help at this stage. I understand why she would get that way. Uh, and wonder why she couldn't get that way more faster. But you know, this is a woman, very tenuous position. And so Sarah says, kick her out. And Abraham does. It's stunning. The shocking cowardice of Abraham. He just cast out a pregnant woman into the desert to die because that's what's going to happen. The best possible thing that could happen to her is that slave traders with a conscience would take her and give her, sell her to a nice guy. But how, is that going to happen? I mean, that's, that's Candyland fantasy day. This is, this is an act of murder. He shoves her out um, and she, she's ready to go. She's ready to go. She's trying to get away from the abuse. She's finally found her way. And the angel of the Lord meets her and talks to her, says, you go back. I'm going to be with you. Yahweh is going to bless your line. Now, your line will always be in conflict with Sarah's line. And that's what we see on our news today. Hagar is the mother of all Arabs. Sarah is the mother of all Jews. Abraham is the father of both. But that's not the thing I want to talk about. You see, there was a language that was very, very common in Jesus's day. In fact, it was the language that Jesus grew up speaking. He and his apostles, almost all of the apostles, would have undoubtedly spoken to each other almost entirely in Aramaic. It's a language which is still a first language for some people, but it is rapidly disappearing. Um, Hebrew, Arabic, and other languages are, are crowding it out. In Aramaic, the Targums were produced. Now, Targums are versions of the Hebrew scriptures written in Aramaic, not Hebrew, not Greek. Greek came later with Septuagint. When you read the Targums and you read Jesus's own home language and its slant on this meeting, something leaps off the page. In Genesis 16, 13, the Targum reads, and she gave thanks before Yahweh, whose word spoke with her. In another Targum, it reads, and Hagar gave thanks and prayed in the name of the word of the Lord who had been manifested to her. And when John opens his gospel, John, whose first language would have been Aramaic, what does he say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
the same was in the beginning with him. Who did Hagar see? She saw Jesus, but she also saw the God who saw her and valued her and knew her name. That's also given in Revelation. So we can, we can do it, the first we can do it in the last. And this, uh, I love the phrasing, you probably saw me start to grin. I love the phrasing in Revelation 19, uh, starting at verse 11. <clears throat> I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. God has a son who has been with him from the beginning, who has seen him and our always and forever Messiah has shown up many times here, sometimes known as the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, for there were no others like him. He is the, the, but there are more. He makes a second appearance in Genesis 18 outside Abraham's tent. Abraham thinks he's seeing three men. He offers them hospitality. That's the rules of that culture and pretty much still is in most of these cultures. They meet with him and they tell him that Sarah will have a son. She overhears and she laughs. And later she has a son and they name him Laughter, Itzhak, Isaac. As they're taking their leave, these men taking their leave, one of them stops and looks at the other two and says, shall I keep from Abraham what I am about to do? Now, listen to the pronouns there. Not what Yahweh is going to do, but what I am going to do. He sends them on and he refers, he turns to Abraham and he tells them about the destruction coming of Sodom and Gomorrah what I am about to do. The angel of the Lord has shown up one more time. In Genesis 22, Abraham is told to sacrifice his son on the mountain. Another story we've looked at uh, a couple of times since our safe harvest started uh, three years ago. Well, Abraham seems to believe that there is some solution to his dilemma because in, in Genesis 22 verse five, he says, we will return soon. Was he covering or did he really believe Isaac was going to be raised from the dead? Well, in Hebrews eleven nine, it says Abraham believed that God would bring Isaac back from the dead and that this was just a test of his faith. But instead, the angel of the Lord reached out and stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son and provided another sacrifice in Isaac's place, which is exactly what he has done for all of us. For you see, that mountain that they, they were on, that high place, would one day have an, an execution outside of the city that sat there. For Jerusalem would be built on that mountain. And outside the city, Jesus would be the sacrifice for the world. It was a showing ahead of time, a foretelling type. The angel stops Abraham and goes, no. God will provide another sacrifice right here. Gives you chills if you think about it. 
Then we meet him again in, in Exodus. Exodus chapters 1 through 3, the angel of the Lord is a player in those three chapters, a character. The angel of the Lord shows up on the mountain where, um, where uh, Moses is tending sheep. Now pay attention to the scene. When you read this later, and I hope you do, it helps you get ready for Advent. The angel of the Lord speaks to Moses from the bush. But when asked his name, when Moses says, what is your name? He said, I am that I am. The name of Yahweh. Now in Hebrew, that's a really deep and moving, um, twisting and folding upon itself phrase. I am who I am. I am who I was. I was who I will be. The eternal constant. The one who is the unmoved mover. Well, uh, Jesus would later look at the people that were challenging him and his authority and his position and his right to say this or say that. And he really threw him a curveball. In John chapter 8, the, um, in verse, I guess we could start at verse 48, the Jews answered him, aren't we right? Uh, people do that today. All right-thinking people, or isn't it obvious that Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Oh, they got all, at this they exclaim, now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, so did the prophets. <coughs> Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? By the way, I'm not adding that. That's exactly what the words say. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, then I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Here we go. You ready? Pay attention. Your father Abraham, at the thought of seeing my day, he saw it and was glad. Well, time shift there, isn't there? So they, they respond, you're not yet 50 years old, they said, and you've seen Abraham? And he responds, oh, very truly, I tell you this. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Not I was, I am. They knew exactly what that meant. The next verse, they picked up stones. They were going to kill him. Jesus hid himself and slipped away from them. Jesus took the name of Yahweh. Angel of the Lord speaks from the burning bush. Moses says, what's your name? He says, I am that I am. Later on, Jesus says, that's my name. And Abraham saw me. Wow. Oh, it gets more interesting. I don't know if it gets more interesting, but it's pretty interesting. 
the story of Balaam. We looked at that several months ago. <clears throat> Let me take a drink of tea or basically leaf soup. Thank you. Um, and I, I promise it is tea. The story of Balaam is one of the strangest ones in the Hebrew scriptures. And that's saying something. Uh, a delightful story of talking donkeys and donkeys that are smarter than the prophet and the like. It's in Numbers 22, um, if you'd like to have a look at it. But since we looked at it pretty carefully several months back, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it today. Instead, just remember this. The angel of the Lord appears to Balaam, and by that name, the angel of the Lord, and tells him what he's allowed to say and what he is not allowed to say. And throughout this passage... He is referred to as the angel of the Lord, and he is referred to as Yahweh. Both. And yet no man has seen God, but people have seen this being. Who's this being? Jesus. Repeatedly showing up in scripture. Once again, the scriptures are very plain. Nobody has seen the Father, but people have seen the Son. Now we're going to look at some more here. Then we're going to wrap this up with a nice little bow right in time for next week's Christmas Eve service. Now, I want to just remind you, the next two Sundays have Eve in their name on your calendars. New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve. We are still going to do our worship in the morning at the exact normal time we always do. So you can watch it live or later. So our New Year's Eve service is at 9.30 Central Time in, on Sunday morning. So just a reminder, okay? That brings us to Judges chapter 2. Take a close look at the phrasing here. The angel of the Lord uh, informs them that the promises of God have conditions and they have limits and that they have crossed the line and now will pay the consequences. It's a pretty frightening passage. But also... In the book of Judges, this time in chapter 6, one of my favorite stories, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. A... Not much of a guy at this stage, to be honest. The fact is, the, you know, the bad guys have written in town. It's a Western. Judges 6 is a Western. Read it. If you don't understand that it's a Western, read it again. The bad guys have come into town. They've taken away all the weapons because the people thought, we'll give them our weapons, they'll be nice to us. That has never worked, but they, they gave it a go. Uh, now Gideon is threshing wheat indoors so he can keep enough wheat to eat for himself. Threshing wheat is a dirty, nasty business, and doing it indoors is would be insufferably uncomfortable. But that's he's not out there leading a resistance. He's hiding and trying to save some bread. When the angel of the Lord appears and says, hey, almighty warrior, I bet Gideon looked around him, you know, like the three stooges when somebody says, hello, gentlemen. And then when he realized he's talking to him, assumed it was sarcasm, uh, something meant to insult him. But again, as in all the other passages, it moves back and forth in a conversation between calling him the angel of the Lord or calling him God. And whenever Gideon goes to prepare a sacrifice to this being, the sacrifice, the, the, the being does not stop him and angels always stop people from worshiping them. They do not want that. 
but the angel of the Lord is worthy of our worship, for it is our Christ. The longest section in the Hebrew scriptures in which the angel of the Lord plays a part is also in Judges, chapters 13 through 16, the story of Samson. And I love, <coughs> I love the story of the angel of the Lord announcing the birth. I don't like the story of Samson much. There's not much in Samson that you want you want your kids to follow. Um, but the story of the angel of the Lord is pretty cool. There's a woman who we don't know her name, Manoah's wife. She has not been able to have a baby. And please, as I said earlier, they did not understand that both male and female had seed in them. And that if a couple was barren, it could very well be likely that it was a husband's uh, inability. I don't even want to say the word fault because your, your genetics are not your fault. But he would be an, unable to produce a seed. So they thought women were just the incubators of the man's seed. And if they didn't have a baby, they were doing something wrong. Sadly, some, some areas under a very major religion in the world today still teach women that. When I take a drink, by the way, you're allowed to have some of your own leaf soup if you have any available. Forgot to tell you the rules. This angel of the Lord appears to Manoah's wife when she's weeping. He, he says, you're going to have a son. He's going to be a wild and strong and mighty warrior and a judge over Israel. Well, she comes back to her husband and says, this is what I heard. And he goes, who have you been talking to? I don't think that's no. So he goes out. And Genesis 13 is really a lovely and humorous exchange. Uh, <coughs> Manoah goes out. Angel Lord shows up again. Basically, who are you? you know, why have you been talking to my wife? And Manoah says, well, all right, what is your name? Angel looks at him and says, you couldn't handle it. I, I, I love that. If I gave you my name, your brain would explode. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good line. I uh, don't know why Hollywood hadn't grabbed that one, but there it is. Once again, what the angel of the Lord says is going to happen, happens. Once again, the angel of the Lord appears to somebody who doesn't even give, we don't even know their name. They're just a side character, but not to God. You're not a side character to God. You're the star of your show to God. Just remember that. When David sinned, and this is a very terrifying one, uh, a punishment was decreed by God against Jerusalem. Normally we say um, <clears throat> he numbered Israel, and that was his sin. That's halfway correct. You see, numbering Israel was actually part of the law. Uh, in Deuteronomy, there was a, a rule that you were to, to number Israel. But when that census time came, he refused to do it. And then he did it his way at another time. So he was living in open rebellion. This was not an oopsie. This was an open rebellion. So this story, by the way, is in 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21. Um, and read both versions of the story. <clears throat> this punishment was decreed by God. And he's given three choices. They weren't good choices. <coughs> uh, 
the, um, he chose a plague. And if you're going, whoa, why would you do that? They should have seen the other two. So what, what happens? The plague starts killing people. The angel of the death, his angel of death is moving around killing a lot of people and it turns toward Jerusalem. And before it gets toward Jerusalem, the angel of the Lord comes down and blocks it and says, enough, you're done. Let's review. David sinned. Yahweh said, pick your punishment. David picked the punishment. Yahweh declared the punishment, including death upon a lot of folk. Who has the ability to step in between God the Father and death and any punishment or decree and say, no, no, it stops here. Only one who has done that, and not just once, but once for the entire world on Calvary, and here for these people, the angel of the Lord. Now, don't get your idea here that God the Father is bloodthirsty and doesn't love us, but Jesus loves us. God the Father loves us too. His, his whole plan here is that you see Jesus and understand him, Hebrews chapter 1. So once again, this can only be Jesus. The angel of the Lord appears three times during the ministry of Elijah. First, when Elijah was frightened and hiding, hiding in a cave after his great victory on Mount Carmel, whenever he found out that the king and queen had put a, a bounty on his head. There was this angel who gently woke him and gave him food and drink and encouragement. It's a great story. The second time he tells uh, Elijah to go to King Ahaziah and tell him he's going to die, that God has decreed his death as a punishment upon him for his sins. And the third time, when soldiers came to arrest Elijah, God killed them with fire. That happened twice, by the way. The third time, the soldiers had a smarter leader, and he said, I'm, I'm supposed to take you in, but please don't kill us with fire. He fell down in front of Elijah and said, please spare us. The angel of the Lord spares them and tells Elijah, go talk to the king. And then the stunning story, Sennacherib. Sennacherib, we know a lot about. He left a lot of carvings. Uh, he really liked PR. And so we have a lot of archaeological detail about him. He was one of the cruelest men in history. Um, I don't really want to go into it. You know, he would just chain people together to, and march them into captivity. But he, he didn't chain them the way you might think. He would put hooks in them in various parts of their body. And they'd have to march like that. I, and that was just a small thing to him. They find that um, uh, Sennacherib is coming up against Jerusalem. This story is a really fascinating story, actually. It's in 2 Kings 19. Um, and if you don't know the story, it, it, it'd be well worth your time to, to read about it and then you know, look up Sennacherib in history. Because this was, whenever, whenever Sennacherib's coming against you, you're done. You're just, you are completely done. But in chapter 19... I'm just going to do a few verses here, um, 32 through 35. This is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria, that would be Sennacherib. He will not enter this city. He will not shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. In other words, I'm sending him right back down that same road. 
he will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Heard a preacher when I was a teenager, and he was on fire preaching this story, man. He was bringing the heat. And he said, in the morning, they all woke up dead. Well, not exactly what it said, but hey, I love, I love the passion. So Sennacherib broke camp and withdrew. He never came into Jerusalem. So not only does the angel of the Lord stop harm, he can bring it. Remember Revelation 19. He is also a warrior. Wow. It's a good time to quote a couple others, and then we'll close this down. Uh, in Psalm 34, these are just mentions. These aren't stories of, uh, in fact, we've, we've, done, we've done the stories. And Psalm 34 is where I want to go. Um, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. You, you probably quoted that one a few times. And I'll just do one more. Um, Psalm 35, verses 5 and 6. May they be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. What amazing imagery. The last time we hear from the angel of the Lord in the Hebrew scriptures in Zechariah, that little book, very little known. Most people don't read it. They don't get it when they do read it. But in chapters 3 uh, and 12, the angel of the Lord promises that he will restore them and that he promises them salvation. Now, for any other angel, this would be blasphemy. For it is Yahweh who, but the angel of the Lord is Yahweh. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. And so when he says, I will do it, well, he is right. And then silence. Silence for centuries until one night the sky is filled with angels. One night they cannot stop talking about what is happening to each other and the noise sounds like songs and chorus to those below the shepherds and others who will witness this sight because over Bethlehem the angels have gathered to witness one of the greatest amazing impossible things the angel of the Lord will be born to a virgin laid in a manger, and will one day climb that same mountain Abraham climbed and save us all. And then he won't stop saving us. The blood of Christ continually cleanses us of all sins. It, it, God is not willing that any should perish. Have we seen Jesus in our own time? I've had people say, why hasn't he shown up in 2,000 years? Well, I have, a, I have a strong opinion that he has shown up many times, but we won't recognize him. We won't understand it. We just know he doesn't stay away from us. He never has. 
He always makes sure we're going to be okay. Maybe not on this planet, but we're going to be okay. Emmanuel. You remember that? That's the name we are to give this angel of the Lord who now we know is Jesus. Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And so he is. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday morning, New Year's Eve.